It's still tracking. It's awesome. Anyway, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And we pick up our study in verse 11. Hebrews 7, verse 11. And this is God's word. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, Judah, that would be, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, right? And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I love to cook uh, and uh, do it all the time, and uh, I'm going to give you a, a restaurant cooking technique, a restaurant cooking technique, which uh, you are very familiar with, and you too, I'm sure, uh, and you too, buddy. Um, one of the keys is to have good pans, all right? Good pans, not like El Cheapo pans, but a, a good pan. So I've got all-clad MasterChef pans, and they have a metal handle. And here's a restaurant cooking technique. This is how uh, Ruth's Chris cooks your steak. This is how every piece of fish you've ever got in a restaurant is prepared. Um, hot pan, olive oil, sear it. Don't flip it, man. Just leave it alone. Stop playing with it. Just let it sit there. Let it sear until it lets go of the pan. It lets go. It lets you know. It's like, mm, I'm done. You give it a little slide. It goes, I'm done. Okay, great. Flip it in the oven at 425. About four and a half minutes or so, you are all set. Got that? Sear it, flip it in the oven at 425. But here's the thing. When you pull that pan out of the oven and you put it on the, the stovetop, here's my, here's my hard, fast rule. I always, almost always <laughs> put a, leave the potholder on the handle. Because that handle's 425 degrees. And, uh, well, I broke my rule last week. And uh, it was Tuesday night. I was making a piece of fish. And I just, I was like, man, I won't forget that. And I, and of course, you just go, bam, and pick that thing up. And I'm only a little bit seared. I, yeah, I kind of knew it was happening pretty quickly. But if you're not prepared for it, like if Tammy walked in the room and said, oh, let me move this. I'm going to start the rice. And, I mean, you could grab that thing, have it in the air before it hits you, and you could get really burned. All right, all that to say. Um, what that potholder communicates sitting on that 425 degree handle is don't touch this. Whatever you do, stay away from this or you're going to get hurt. And uh, I start with that illustration because um, I happen to hear of a few people who just in the last week, two or three different people were like, hey man, we checked out the church app. I was traveling and I listened to one of the Hebrews messages and, and I hadn't heard you in a long time or whatever. And they listened to the Hebrews message and I started thinking, I wonder which one they listened to because... Um, you know, 
whoever the scripture writer is, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, speaks very um, assertively at points and gives warnings that have sharp edges to them, right? And uh, at some of the time I've been up here, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm a little tough on the flock, but it's only because I'm chained to the text, you know? And um, what I don't want you to miss is this. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews um, is not cynically scolding the, the, the flock. He's not cynically scolding the flock. He's not being mean-spirited in any way, but he's got a passionate concern for their welfare. Uh, and so he's kind of a, he's a, a Hebrew, the Hebrews pastor writer guy. And he gives warnings that aren't so much like, they're there, keep a positive attitude, everyone. Those aren't his warnings. They're there, <laughs> smile, everyone. Those aren't his warnings. His warnings are more like, don't touch that. And it's not mean-spirited, but it's, it's, it's that he so doesn't want us to get burned. He so doesn't want us to step into a wrong direction. And that's really a lot of the, the role of a pastor is to say, hey, hey, don't touch that because, because you're loved. And so we have to be very careful as we read this and we read some of these, these sharp warnings. We cannot overlook or forget the fact that the goal of his writing is that the church be encouraged. He wants the original readers who are under persecution and, and, and pressures religiously uh, to muddle the gospel, he wants, he wants them to be encouraged to hold fast to the faith. And you, reader, today, ultimately the writer is the Holy Spirit of God, the goal is for us to be encouraged, for us to, to say, no, we are secure in this faith and there is a right way and we need to cling to that right way. And so we get, um, we get warnings with sharp angles and uh, it's also juxtaposed um, secure, with security and warning, right? Security, warning. Um, so what's the big idea today? I would say the big idea is this. The gospel puts you in a state of acceptability to God. Now, um, that's what's being logiced out by our passage here today. And I admit that as I'm reading this, you're, uh, some of you are going, uh, wow, uh, Mel, Mel, who's a what? And uh, the Levitical what and the law and there's a lot of confusing sounding stuff in here. No worries. Uh, it's it's otherworldly. It's challenging. It's sometimes perplexing. I know that. Um, but um, it, it, as is all the stuff that we Christians believe. But uh, it's not illogical. And what he's trying to do is logically say that there's a basis for this, that the gospel puts us in a state of being acceptable to God. So uh, let's look at it together. Our first point is a... Hang on, my battery's about to die. A new and better way. That's our first of two points. So brace yourself for some weird, hard-to-grasp stuff. You'll understand it in just a minute. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be, have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? Now, if you, that is a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of confusing stuff. You know, it's, you know, we did not our heads as Christians because those are Aaron, we heard of Aaron, and priests, we heard of priests, and the Levites, we heard of the Levites. But you're reading all that going, man, what does all that mean? Well, let's start this way. Um, you know, that's, that's not the verse the third graders are memorizing, by the way. Um, here, here's, here's a clear approach. Look at verse 11 again. Now, if perfection had been attainable. Now, that word perfection um, trips up a lot of people. Um, and, you know, when the Bible, when you, especially particularly in the New Testament, when you read the word perfect, 
what it's, what it's saying is, what, what it's trying to communicate is completeness. You know, perfect as in all the components, everything's put in place and there's a completion, all right? And that's the idea there. If perfection, if completion, if, um, if a final way of approaching God, if it was all sewn up and, and it was permanent and it never had to be uh, changed or added to, if that had taken place, if that had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, you wouldn't have need Jesus. That's the point, all right? And so... Um, Oh, oh, in fact, uh, here's, the, here's the NIV. This is pretty good. Uh, the NIV says, this is how love is made complete in us. Um, here's another one. The Aramaic Bible in plain English says, by this, love is fulfilled with us. See, completed, fulfilled. Um, uh, there's another translation that says, God's love has reached its goal in us. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Uh, reaches goal in us, reaches goal for us, eh? Uh, and, and here's one more for you. Um, our love will be manifested in all its perfection by our having complete confidence on the day of judgment. Uh, and of course, the ESV, uh, if perfection had been attainable, we wouldn't have needed Jesus Christ. Um, so um, the point of this perfection and this, this completion, it has, to, has very much to do with the law. Notice that it's immediately attached to the law in the mind of the writer. He says, hey, if there were a way to God that were permanent and final and uh, it was good for a whole eternity and you didn't have to add to it and it was all taken care of, you wouldn't need any Jesus. And the next thing he says, for under it, the people received the law. It's interesting that the law is sown right up with it. Uh, it's... it's um, it's right there. So what does all that mean? Well, um, flip, keep your finger there and flip to Romans chapter 7, if you would. Romans chapter 7 and starting in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing in Romans. And uh, he's talking about himself. So he's, uh, he's uh, uh, framing a, a, a doctrine of the gospel, right? And, and he's talking about himself. And he says, what shall we say then? Verse 7 of chapter 7. Should we say that the law is sin? By no means. Of course not. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Uh, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now what he's saying there is, and it's very interesting because you get a glimpse as to the, the heart of Paul. Um, he's not saying, uh, yeah, I was less than ever my neighbor's wife or I, I was stealing flare pens from the Walgreens. He was saying I, covetousness was the thing that really, that really uh, peaked his heart, right? And so basically it's like this. You're, um, you're driving 65 miles an hour. You got it on cruise control. Oh yeah, 65 right on it. <laughs> I'm right there. Uh, too bad you're in Rossville. Uh, and uh, and the, the cop goes, hey, yeah, you're going, yeah, I was going 65. Well, the speed limit's that. Oh, you're going to have to show me the sign. Well, that's a sign. Well, guess what? The sign shows you that you broke the law. That's what the law does. That's the function of the law. The law gets held up, and then we go, oh, you mean that's what God wants? Well, then I blew it, and I'm in trouble. And buddy, you're in cosmic trouble uh, if this God really does dwell in perfection and you're not perfect at, at, at all, um, if you're soiled. Um, so back to our passage in verse 11 uh, in, in Hebrews. Let me get there. Um, 
It says, if perfection had been attainable through this Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. You know, the law was given them. What further need would there be for a priest and so, uh, so on? So the Levitical system, we'll talk about it more in a second. Um, it was, it's, it was like, it's like a windsock at an airport, you know? Uh, that thing's blowing. It shows you which way the wind's going. The Levitical, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, all the animals, all the sacrifices, the grain offerings and all that stuff, all of the services of the temple were pointing somewhere. They were pointing somewhere. And listen, there was a repeated, repeated, repeated over and over a service in the temple, sacrifice after sacrifice. And it was communicating a message that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. I mean, it's communicating something in a very vivid way. Um, and so, very simply, um, if you were born into the tribe of the Levites, well, guess what? Now you could be a priest because the priests could be, or the, the, the Levites were the, were the priesthood, okay? What this is saying is, hey, there was this other guy, we talked about him last week, Melchizedek, this mysterious figure who is only mentioned in Genesis, what, 17, I think, and then Psalm 110. He's only mentioned two times, and then, he, and then in Hebrews, and he disappears from the pages of the scriptures. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what his lineage is. But the point is, he's before Moses. He's before the tribes of Israel. He's before them. And so he's kind of in his own category, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, Jesus the Messiah is like that. That guy's a type. He's a, he's a type of what is to come. The windsocks pointing to Jesus Christ. That's the writer's point. And, um, and so this, this, this guy, Jesus, is from the tribe of Judah. And, um, and so he's not, even, he's not even a part of the Levitical line. So he's a lot like this Melchizedek guy. All right, look at verses 13 and 14. It says, for the one of, uh, one of whom these are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So the writer's point is, Jesus is like that guy Melchizedek. He preceded the, um, the Jewish law, the Mosaic law. His work is beyond the Mosaic law, and the sacrificial system is designed to direct his people toward a permanent solution, and Jesus is the permanent solution. Uh, by the way, look at verse 12. When there is a change in the priesthood... There is necessarily a change in the law as well. And, um, you know, one writer said this about, I want to, let's talk about the law. There are three kinds of law. When the Bible talks about the law, um, you've heard me say this before, but it's, it's important to go over it again and again and again. Three kinds of law. You've got God's moral law, and God's moral law is summarized in what? The Ten Commandments. Do those ever change? No. God's moral law is God's moral law. Those things never change. Then you've got Israelite law, the laws of the land. Like the United States of America, we have laws of the land. They're different than Canada. They're different than Ukraine. Okay? Israel had laws of the land. So as long as there was Israel, they had national laws. So you've got God's moral law, you've got Israel's national law, and then you've got ceremonial law, which is what happened in the temple. This, the sacrificial system, the ceremonial law. Now, God's moral law never changes. The Ten Commandments forever and ever and ever. That's God's moral law for us. What happened to Israelites' national law? Doesn't exist anymore because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and out they go. They're gone. They're dispersed. It's over with. So goodbye. What about the sacrificial system? 
Where, where, did that, where, did the, where did that go? There's a fancy word for it. It's, it's, the word is abrogated. Sacrificial system's been abrogated. You know why? It's not needed anymore. It's not necessary anymore. It's, it, it, it goes on to say later, it's weakness, weakness. It's weak and useless. Why? Because the, the thing to, to which it pointed came. The final savior came, and so the ceremonial law, gone. So if you go, hey, where's the temple sacrifices? Why did they disappear? Do the Jewish people do that anymore? No. Well, they, they don't do it because it's good. I'll tell you about that in a second. But uh, for us, we know that the Messiah has come. All of that to which it pointed was, it was in Jesus, fulfilled in him. And uh, so, uh, and I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount last week. One writer said that Jesus gave laws their sharpest application. So God's moral law never changes. Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, God's moral law stays fast. All right, so um, all that to say. Um, you know, when, when Jesus shows up on the scene and John the Baptist is there with his own disciples, John's got his own disciples that follow him. You know what he says about Jesus, right? He says, behold, the lamb of God. That's quite a thing to say. I mean, uh, his disciples are, it's a baptism of repentance, repentance, repentance. And the guy who's doing it, he says, behold, the lamb of God. That, that's a big thing. They're like lamb. You mean like, like a sacrificial lamb? You mean like the Passover lamb? Yeah, yeah, like that. It all pointed to the lamb of God. Pretty awesome. All right, application for your life. Um, the gospel makes us acceptable to God, right? I don't know about you, but I often don't feel very acceptable. Do you feel that way sometimes? And I got a wacky job, you know, because I'm here. And then I go in there. And I'm like, hey, everybody, this is true. And every week I, I, I have to be alone with God's word. And I just go, oh, God, why would you use me? Why? I mean, you just have to live with it and live with it. And don't you think that about your life? Lord, why would you entrust these children to me? Why would you entrust this person to me? Why would I have these responsibilities? How can I be involved in any kind of church leadership when I, I'm me? Don't, do you feel that way? I don't feel very acceptable a lot of the times. But the gospel message, the Bible message, the church's message, the, the Savior's message is that you have been perfectly, completely made acceptable to God. Perfectly. Because a perfect, complete, and acceptable substitute took a punishment for you. That's why it's okay. It's not just that God went, well, I'm just going to ignore that, and I'll just kind of ignore that. He cannot compromise his own self. He cannot be untrue to his own justice. He can't. He cannot. So he punished another for you. That's the gospel message. And by that, you have been made acceptable to God. He, he, Jesus isn't dead. He's risen, he's ascended, and he's dynamically ruling and reigning, holding court at the right hand of God. You know what it means that he's up there? It means that the sacrifice was accepted, and you can know that you're okay. That's good news. I got an illustration for you. All this construction that's been going on, you can't believe what's happened in the, in the sanctuary. I mean, when we said amen Sunday, everything started. When, as, as, when you were at lunch, a flurry of activity was happening, and the whole stage got struck. There were five lifts in there last week. It was beep, beep, beep. 
all week long. Five lifts all week. Dust, construction. It was just a mess. It was a mess. Uh, band rehearsal was on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. And uh, the tech crew was there till 10.30 fr- Saturday, Friday night setting up. And uh, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been mayhem. But, and so you've had all these different personnel come in and you've got sheetrock guys and construction guys and sawzalls and everything. And, uh, and then the, nerd, the nerds come in. You know, there's this dude with this big long ponytail and he's like knows all this stuff and they're running cables. And, and then you got a, all these people clicking and clacking computer types. I mean, all the, the nerd force was fascinating to watch. But one of the nerd forces was a dude wearing a ball cap. And uh, I think he was the lighting rig guy, and he's programming the lights, and he's, he's just on it. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hot in there, and uh, he takes his hat off, and he's got a, he's got a yarmulke on, uh, and, which is also called a, a, a kippah or a kipote, I think. But he's got, one of, he's got a beanie on his head. And so I took that opportunity to walk up and go, hey, I just found out I'm Jewish. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, he's like, huh? And uh, I said, yeah, my grandma changed her name because of the Nazis, and uh, that makes me an eighth Jewish on my father's side. And uh, I smacked him on the, he was sitting down, I smacked him on the shoulder. I go, that makes me an eighth Jewish on my father's side. I go, pretty good, huh? Pop! And I smacked this total stranger on the shoulder. And he's like, what are, what are you saying, dude, you know? And uh, I said, that's pretty cool for a Christian pastor, isn't it? And I wanted him to know who I was. I said, yeah, pretty cool for a Christian pastor, isn't it? I said, I lord it over people all the time. And that he did like. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I turned my head and that ball cap was back up. <laughs> but isn't it funny that he was wearing a, a yarmulke with a ball cap on it? And I'm sure he was thinking, all right, I'll work in a Christian sanctuary. But I got my, I got my beanie on, okay? So... We're singing Psalm 130 out here this morning, and uh, I went to the computer, and you know, we got everything up, and uh, the screens are hot and all that stuff, and I, I flipped ahead to, um, to the verse that says, um, do thus, O ye of Israel's seed, ye of the Spirit born indeed, and I put it up on the screens, and I walked away, and uh, I walked down to the front, and I talked to Lynn, and I said, hey, man, there's a Jewish guy in the booth. Look what I just put on the screen, <laughs> and, uh, and my hope was that he would tap me on the shoulder later or even call me and say, what do you insane people do in this room? <laughs> I mean, Israel, what do you, are, are, you, are you saying that Israel, and you, you're connected with it? Or what are you saying? I, I would just have delighted in a gospel opportunity. I was trying to create one. So anyway, I, I would have loved for him to ask that. You know, are you seriously tracing yourself back to Abraham? And you know, one of the things I would have engaged with him is I would have said, hey man, where's your sacrificial system? That's what I'd like to know. Where's the sacrificial system? I know the answer. It doesn't exist. You know why? A couple reasons. He would say, well, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. And uh, we can't build another one. You know why? Political hotbed. There's a, there's a dang mosque over there on, on the Temple Mount right now. Can you imagine if, they, if we bulldozed that in the middle of the night and built a temple? That would really be awesome. So they can't do anything. You know where the yarmulke came from? You want to know the history on that? When the temple got destroyed in 70 AD, this is not, an, this is not uh, uh, a decree by God in any way. You're not going to find it in the Torah. You're not going to find it anywhere in the Old Testament. But what they did is it's, it's believed that because the sacrificial system was eliminated when, when the temple was destroyed, that ceremoniously 
they put a little beanie on their head, and it, uh, it's uh, a, a ceremonial way of saying we're sinners, and this covers us from Yeshua. All right, that's, that's the yarmulke. So when you see a yarmulke, that's what they're thinking. Uh, I'm a sinner, and uh, they have very high regard. Every rabbi has a very high regard for Yahweh. But they put the beanie on their head as a symbolic way of saying I'm still under sin and I need covering from the wrath of Yahweh for sin. And uh, I look at that, and I've, I've thought about it a good bit in the last few days. Uh, I think, hmm, let me examine my life against the perfections of God as are shown to me by the, in the power of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. And then I look at my life and I go, you know what? A little hat ought to cover it. I mean, it's just preposterous. Yeah, I'll just wear this hat. Ladies and gentlemen, um, friends, listeners, capote wearers, you need a permanent answer to an eternal problem. And that is given you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A permanent answer to an eternal problem. Uh, all this stuff, all the 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 blood, uh, all the, the animals, all the um, ceremony pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice, the one who would shed his blood with a permanent effect who would make you safe forever. All right, um, last point, a new and better hope. Uh, let's look at verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, we don't know where he came from. We don't know his, he was before the tribes of Israel, so he wasn't a part of a tribe. But um, this other priest arises, Jesus, in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, right? It's not that he was born in the tribe of Levi. Uh, he wasn't. Jesus wasn't. He's was from the tribe of Judah. Um, but by the power of an indestructible life. And that's the big point. Um, the power of an indestructible life. By his death, an endless life, Jesus saves, oh, Jesus saves. That's what your encouragement is. And by the way, um, the next line is, sing it softly through the gloom when the heart for mercy craves. Wow, it's bad to be gloomy. Your heart craves mercy. That's a really tough time. How about um, singing triumph for the tomb, death, the biggies? You're going to be okay because of the power of an indestructible life. By his death, an endless life, Jesus saves. Very important. Think about that the next time we sing Jesus saves, would you please? By his death, an endless life, Jesus saves. His endless life, his indestructible life, that's where that comes from. And you see the importance of the resurrection here too. The Bible, the gospel bets everything on the resurrected Jesus. I mean, you think of a James Bond movie where some joker just takes all the chips and slides into the middle of the thing. I'm all in. And here's the keys of my Maserati too. Uh, all in. The Bible bets everything on a resurrected Jesus because without the indestructible life, there is no hope for our life beyond this life. But Christ has an indestructible life. That is, speaks to the permanence of the sacrifice for you, and that should encourage your soul. That's the whole point of verse 17. So, what of the sacrificial system? Um, verses 18 and 19, look at it. It says, on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness 
and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Yeah, the law was held up. Sacrifices were made, but they had to be made over and over and over to, to set people up to go, wow, this doesn't seem very permanent. How long can it go? Then the temple's destroyed. Wow, we really need some help. Um, on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And isn't it cool, too? That's the whole point, is that we're people who, are, who get to draw near to God as a result. It's a better hope. Why? Because Jesus lives and rules today. That's why it's a better hope. And notice the profound result. We draw near to God. That's the beauty of the gospel message, friends. That uh, all the stuff that makes you want to drag your knuckles on the ground in shame has been punished on the cross for you and punished permanently. Sin, your sin, taken away. Your accursedness put on another. So that when God looks at you, he, he doesn't look at you and go, I, I feel that way a lot of times. I, I feel like God looks at me and he goes, oh, oh gross. Puh. That's not how it is. He looks at your life. He looks at your heart, Christian. He looks at the inner workings of what's going on and he sees the beauty and perfection and righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why God rejoices over you. He rejoices over the the salvation afforded you in Jesus Christ. Last thing, and we'll quit. Um, Tammy bought a a chicken, and uh, a a rotisserie chicken, and we were going to give it to somebody. In fact, uh, okay, not back there, but anyway, we're going to give it to somebody. I thought he was in this room. Um, So it was somebody you know was going through a tough time, and so we were going to make him some dinner and bought a chicken and. and, uh, you know, six, seven hours later, she's like, the chicken's in the car. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, didn't bother me. I ate it about midnight. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I was like, I don't know, I could get some, I'd probably be okay. <laughs> but, but you sure don't want to give it to the people who are going through a hard time. By the way... <laughs> By the way, have three days of food poisoning on top of what you're going through. Uh, so, but the, the chicken left in the car for six hours was not acceptable for that situation, was it? Not acceptable. Um, you wouldn't think of it. All right, let's say the chicken was left out uh, three days. Wow, now that'll kill you. Not acceptable. Friend, you've been made acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. That is a cause for great hope. That's the goal of the gospel, that you're not only made acceptable, but that you can now draw near to God, this personal God, who sent a personal Savior to save you personally from your personal sins. Let's pray. Father, um, it is hard to compute um, your favor toward us. We, We look at our lives and It seems like the longer we're Christians, the more we realize we're sinners, and uh, the more we see in this world, the more we realize how degraded um, a a fallen humanity can be. It's it's astonishing frequently. Um, But we thank you, Lord, that we are acceptable to you. The acceptable sacrifice was made in the Lord Jesus. All things point to him, fulfilled in him, and are a permanent solution to our eternal problem. We praise you for that. And my prayer, Lord, is that this people would find themselves deeply comforted. That um, when they sing softly in the gloom, which is hard. When their souls crave for mercy, which is hard. 
when they face the impending tomb, which is hard, might you say to their souls, might you arrest them with good news that the sacrifice was accepted, and so are they, so are we, forever in Jesus' name, and we pray it, amen. Thanks, everybody.